Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. It has been said that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. It's the same thing, and yet it has a different effect on, uh, on different things. When we think about suffering, and when we think of uh, the types of suffering that we go through, you know, sometimes we can clearly see a person may go Uh, two different people may go through the same kind of trial or same kind of suffering. And yet one is humbled and their heart is further softened to the Lord. And, And the other is even more hardened. One is more dependent on God and the other keeps resisting God even more. See, the difference between the two individuals that may go through the same trial and why one would respond favorably by continuing to depend on God and the other more hardened, at the very core of their heart is a certain virtue, a virtue that is very prized by God himself a virtue that we are all exalted to, uh, exhorted to have, and that's humility. It's the, the humble and contrite heart that God is always looking for. This morning, as we look at this section in 1 Peter 5, Peter is obviously coming to a conclusion of this wonderful letter. And he's been addressing Christians who are going through various trials, who are going through suffering. And he's, it's a letter of encouragement. And he's, and he's given them various perspectives. And he's, as he's coming to the end of it, he wants them to realize this one virtue again. That as a people of God, we should be marked by humility even when we go through trials and suffering, because that is what the people of God are. And I say this because if you look at, if you look at the passage, verses five through seven, at the end of verse five, it talk, there's the word humility there. Verse At the end of it, it talks about God giving grace to the humble. Again, in verse 6, again, talks about humble. So this whole section, he's, he's getting us to that point of you need to be humble. This is a virtue that you need to have and recognize that even when you go through trials and suffering, this is one thing you must have at the core of your being. And remember, last week we looked at you know, and the big picture of this is how do, we, how do we thrive? How do we persevere through trials when opposition come, when trials come? How do we persevere as a church? How do we persevere as Christians? And so last week he focused on the elders and the gravity of the responsibility that they have as elders to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. You know, not, not unwillingly, but willingly and eagerly wanting to shepherd the flock of God. Not for sordid gain, but again, uh, because they want to as, as people who have been appointed by God. And, and not in a domineering way, but in a more servile way, more like a servant, caring for the flock of God by being examples to the flock of God. And so now he turns his attention now to 
to then the congregation. And here we come to our first point for today, which is humble yourself to your elders. And that's in verse 5a. Humble yourself to your elders. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So remember, he's just explained the role of the elders, the, the, the gravity of, of what they are to do. And it's, it is a difficult task, but if God has called them to that task, God will enable them to live that way. And that they can't just live any which way they want as, as leaders of the church, as, as under-shepherds of this great shepherd, but they must actually submit to the great shepherd who is Jesus himself. And in doing so, they are to shepherd his flock. Now, if that is the attitude of the elders, as elders are to be faithful and be subject to the chief shepherd and shepherd people that way, then he says, now you members of the congregation, likewise submit to your under-shepherds. Submit to your elders. Now, while all members should obey this command of, of being subject to the elders, you know, Peter hones in on a particular group within the members of the church. And he says, those of you who are young. Now, what, what is this talking about? There's a, there's a debate between the scholars about whether this is talking about those who are young in age, or whether they are those who are young converts. And I don't think uh, it makes that much of a difference. In fact, we, even if we bring both those things together, uh, it's, the, it's the idea of those who are young can be prone to be more immature, You know, it's the idea that when we are young, that, that, that pride of life sort of oozes through sometimes. And think about this. You know, Peter has just told the elders, elders, in your shepherding, you shouldn't dominate. But more so as, as washing their feet, as, as serving them humbly this way, that's how you need to shepherd, by being examples. So then you can imagine the, the young people there thinking, oh, okay, these elders, they're, they're, they're not dominating, they're, they're not forceful. And in any case, I don't like to have authority over me. I don't like people telling me what to do. I'll just do whatever I want. Sure, there are troubles, but, but I know what I need to do. Sure, there are troubles, but I don't need anyone's help. I don't need accountability. I don't need guidance and protection. And I certainly don't need any kind of authority over me. But Peter's point is this, no, you need to be subject to your elders. And the words uh, be subject, it's a term that was particularly used in the military, where the soldiers would arrange themselves in an orderly fashion under the command of their commanding officer. So it's the idea of voluntarily placing yourself under an authority figure. It's something that is done proactively. So it's not so much, okay, there's an authority figure just passively, like, just meandering through. It's like, no, I'm consciously and proactively, voluntarily subjecting myself to the authority figure. That, that's the word that's described here. And we've seen this word a few times in First Peter. Remember in First uh, Peter 2.13, it talked about be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
And so we talked about how we need to voluntarily place ourselves under the governing authorities, even if they don't treat us right, so long as they don't cause us to sin, that we are to voluntarily submit to the authority of the government officials. Then in 2.18, we saw that again, where we are to submit to those everyday authority figures, whether those in our workplace or our teachers or whoever it may be. And, and Peter's exhortation there, again, is place yourself under, be subject to them, whether they do good to you or bad to you, so long as they don't cause you to sin. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, it talked about the family relationships, and wives are to then be subject to their husbands. Again, the same word, that wives are to voluntarily subject themselves to the authority of the husbands, even if they are unbelievers, even if things are going to be scary, so long as they don't cause you to sin. And here's the thing, the, the idea of submission to authority is very important for us as Christians. Because it's a call to deal with the rebellion in our hearts that rises up when we are under authority. And it's God's, one of God's means by which he puts that in check. And every person in the world is under some kind of authority, right? Every single person, whether in the home, in the workplace, society at large, everyone is under some kind of authority. And especially us as Christians, how we respond to the authorities over us will determine our faithful testimony to the Lord. That's why, you know, in 2.13 he said, do it for the Lord's sake. It's his name that is at stake. And so as Christians, we are to submit to various authorities that God has placed over us, and now especially in the church. See, God has placed elders or under-shepherds to shepherd the church. And it is through these men that God will shepherd his people. This is the the order, the design, the structure that God has set up within the, the church family. And so Peter is saying, church members, especially those of you who are young, voluntarily and proactively submit to the elders. Now again, like with all the other authorities we've talked about, there can be misuse of authority. And and if, again, even with the elders, if they cause you to sin, you are under no obligation to submit to them. But then you say, but then, so the elders, do they go scot-free? I mean, who's holding them accountable? Do they not have any accountability? Can they do whatever they want? Of course not. See, which is why last week when we looked at it, uh, you know, Peter spends the first four verses of 1 Peter 5 explaining what the elders should be doing that this job of leading and shepherding the church should be as God would have them do, as they're submitted to the chief shepherd. They can't just carry out their task any which way they want. There's, There's a certain way in which they are to do it. And really, even in our church, you know, there's a process in which, because we take this seriously, and there's more qualifications of the elders that are talked about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2, You know, the process that we go through in affirming an elder in this church, we put forward a name before the church. And a period of time is given, and there's forms given out with all these character qualifications so that the church can then respond and say, does this person meet this criteria? Or are there anything concerning here that this person shouldn't be an elder or an under-shepherd of this church? So there's accountability even there. So it's not just self-appointed men. uh, God raises up these men, but then there's even accountability to the church. Then even moving forward from that, it's not just, okay, once they become an elder, then they're scot-free for life. No, these very same 
qualifications and what Peter says here in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4, that's how the elders need to continue to live. That should be characteristic of their life. And the church should continue to hold the elders accountable to that. And then on top of that, remember he he uses the word elders, plural. So even within the eldership, there's accountability and there's a a mutual submission to, to one another. So there's, for the elders, there's lots of accountability and lots of things that God has set up in place. And so in light of that, Peter's point is this. Just as the elders submit to the chief shepherd and carry out their role, the members of the church too, especially the younger ones, need to submit to their under-shepherds that God has placed over them. Why? Because this is how God is going to shepherd his church. This is how God is going to feed his church through these men. This is how God is going to protect the church. This is God's design and order so that the church can flourish and be fed the word of God and be protected so that the church can thrive even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of living in this hostile world. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, God has appointed the shepherds to watch over your souls for your own protection. And so to be outside of that would would be to go outside God's means of protection. This is for your own good. It's for the caring of your souls. This is God's design. And you can can think about this, you know, when Peter is writing this and saying, especially you, those of you who are younger, submit submit to the elders. You can think of those who are young, whether young in their faith or just uh, young from age. There's all this persecution, all this trouble happening. Everyone's going through different things and the church at large is facing different difficulties. And those who are young are saying, ah, I don't agree with this. I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to do my own thing. That's going to damage the church. That's going to put the church at risk. So you can understand why Peter is sort of saying, so even when you go through suffering, whether individually or corporately, this is God's means, this is God's means by which God is going to help the church grow and be led and be protected. Don't resist the leadership of the church in as long as they follow Christ, but be subject to them. So that's the first thing. Humble yourself to your elders. Then very quickly he moves on, and here we come to our second point. Humble yourselves to one another. And that's in 5b. He moves from uh, the, the young ones in the church. Now he says everyone in the church. Look at verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's saying everyone in the church should have this attitude. Now, you know, obviously he's getting at humility here. Now, how how should we define humility? You know, sometimes people think humility is to think poorly of ourselves or to kind of think less of ourselves. Now, I've said this before, and I can't remember who first defined humility this way, but it's a helpful one, and it's this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking about yourself at all. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself 
Humility is not thinking about yourself at all. Or in other words, that there is no preoccupation with self. There is no elevated view of self. Uh, there's no unhealthy uh, elevated view of self, or on the other side, an unhealthy self-deprecating view of self. Because this person views himself rightly as God views him, as someone who's a child of God, as someone who's completely dependent on God, uh, God the God that is all-sufficient. So this person now doesn't focus on self, but is now free to put others first and care for others and care for the needs of others. You know, Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Again, this is not saying, so have a low view of yourself. No, it's more the idea of, no, you know your significance as a, as a child of God. You know how God views you. So rather than focusing on self, put others first. Put their needs before yours. And Peter says, look, uh, the, the language that he uses, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now the word clothe yourself, it literally means to tie something to yourself. You know, most likely Peter would have remembered the time when Jesus took the towel and tied it to himself. It's the same word that's used there. And then he bends down to wash the feet of his disciples. In fact, even um, in Peter's day, the, the slaves, those who had no say, you know, they're, they're at the lowest rung of the societal ladder, the slaves would wear an apron when they were doing some kind of service, then when they were working. And this apron would be an indication to everyone that this person is here to serve. You know, it's kind of like in the kitchen when somebody puts an apron on, they don't just normally put an apron on, they put it because they're getting to work at the butcher shop or in the kitchen or, or wherever. And so Peter takes that pitchin that picture and says, you need to clothe yourself with the apron of service, which is humility. You need to tie that to yourself. Put that on. This is something that you need to do. See, this apron of humility, it's not going to automatically be put on you. It's not just going to automatically come somehow, passively. But it's something that you need to make a conscious effort to put on to clothe yourself with this humility. You need to actively put on this mindset of being a servant of others. And notice, Peter specifically says who this is for. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. So now the focus is not just those of you who are young, but it's, it's the young and the old. It's the members and the elders. It's male and female and, and everyone else. All of you put on humility, not focusing on yourselves, but being others-focused and caring for the needs of others. Everyone in the church needs to absolutely do this. Clothe yourself with it. Put it on. Actively do that. Make a conscious effort to do it. And you know something, humility was something that was looked down on Peter's day. This attitude of being focused on, on others and serving others, that was simply the attitude of a slave. Because the rest of the society had the attitude of what? Of self-love. It's not focused on others, it's self-love. And it's not very different in our world these days, isn't it? And especially when somebody is going through some difficulty, what is it that the world would generally say? Oh, you're going through this difficult time or this has happened? What do you need to do? You need to love yourself more and do whatever so that you, know, you, you are continuing to love yourself. 
I mean, just think again of the context in which Peter is writing this letter. The Christians are facing various trials, various difficulties for following Jesus. But as Peter is concluding this letter, he doesn't say, love yourself more. Yeah, I understand in your personal life and church as a whole, there's all these difficulties and persecution and opposition and being ostracized from society. All that is happening. He doesn't say, love yourself more. He says, you need to consciously put on humility and serve others even during these trials that you're facing. Now, how would pride manifest itself when we go through trials? You know, I think sometimes we can look at someone and say things like, oh, why is that person struggling so much, you know, as they're going through this problem? I mean, I'm going through something similar, but I'm not responding that way. I'm not acting like that. And unknowingly, what do we do? We elevate ourselves over that person, look down on that person. And if it's not that of elevating ourselves, other times, again, often unknowingly, we get so caught up in our problems and our difficulties and we become so self-focused that we say things like, I'm going through the greatest trial ever and nobody else has difficulties like me. It's the other end of it. Now, I'm not trying to deliberately hurt some of you who may be going through some difficulties right now. But the fact of the matter is that Peter is saying, in the midst of your fiery trials, here's what you need to do. Put on the apron of humility. Don't focus on yourself. Don't elevate yourself over others. Be others-minded and serve others humbly. Now the question might come, well, if I'm always thinking about others and caring for others, uh, even in the midst of trials and difficulties, then who's going to care for me? Peter will directly address that in verse 7. But even the way God has designed the church. See, when we serve this way, and everyone in this church is consciously putting on the apron of humility and serving one another, and being others-focused and not focusing on self, what's going to happen? Everyone will be ministered to, including you and me. It won't just be a handful of people that will be ministered to. Because no one's focusing on self. But as a result, you're being ministered to as well, through the body. So for example, as you're serving uh, this one person and you're involved in their life, that other person during that time may minister to you, knowing you're going through this how? By praying for you. Then at another time, you're ministering to someone else and that person in turn realizes you're going through this. They will minister words of encouragement and comfort. Then another time, as you're talking to someone else in the church, you you realize, oh my, this person is going through way more than what I'm going through. And you see them and, and you think, they're not being fake, they're not putting on a show but they're truly resting in the Lord. Even through all those difficulties that they're facing. And that in itself becomes an encouragement to you. Now, I know some of you are going through some difficulties. And it's been such a joy and such an encouragement to see how even in the midst of your trials, you are looking out for others and and serving others and being a comfort and encouragement to others through all that God is teaching you. Just even last week, uh, you know, our brother was telling me that just out of the blue, somebody was ministering to them in this church as that person was going through trials and was reminding them of the difficulties and the things uh, that God was teaching them. And it was such an encouragement to this brother during this time. 
because that person was not being self-focused, was being others-focused. Put on that apron of humility. Now, does this mean that we will always be ministered to when we minister to others? No, there will be times when we fail each other. We won't do this perfectly. But generally speaking, if everyone has this mindset of humbly serving one another, everyone will be served. But you know, there's a stronger reason why Peter says we should serve each other humbly. Look at verse 5 again, the last part. For, here's the reason, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the reason. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's why we need to be humbly serving one another. The same word is used in James, the, the, the same idea is used in James 4, 6, and it's really a, it's taken from Proverbs 3.34. It's, it's taken from the Greek translation of it, so there's some change in some of the words. But what Peter is trying to say is, see, I'm not just simply saying this because you're in this unique situation and applying this. But I want you to, uh, but I want to point you to a bigger truth a bigger truth about the very character of God and his disposition to people and of how he is. That should be your motivator for being humble toward one another. And there's a warning here and an encouragement here. The warning to us is God is opposed to the proud. See, the word oppose, it has that same word of be subject, but it's got a different prefix. You know, uh, be subject is hupotasso, and oppose is antitasso. So if being subject is coming under and, and f- having a sort of arrangement, as we talked about the army formation under a commander, this is having a formation against something. So in the military world, this is when a whole army had arranged itself ready to battle their enemy forces. It's a a strong picture that they're out there for war. They're against, they're going to resist that other party. And so Peter is saying this, that God in who he is and his predisposition is this towards those who are proud, to those who are self-focused. That he sets himself against the proud person like big armies setting themselves against their enemy forces. You know, and, and there's so many passages that talk about how God absolutely dis- detests the proud person. Now, I'll just read a couple of them. Proverbs 16:5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's a s- strong word, is an abomination to the Lord. Jeremiah 50, 31, Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. Isaiah 2, 12, and we read that passage this morning, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So it's a scary thing to think about it, isn't it? I mean, whether we're going through good times or bad times, but if we are too preoccupied with ourselves, so much so that we're looking down on others or treating others poorly or not even caring about others, not thinking of serving others as a result, that the almighty God of this universe 
is against that person. He's going to be opposed to you. And, and here's the thing. We all have this issue of pride, don't we? It's not like some have pride and others don't. We all have it. In fact, an unbeliever is full of pride because they have no regard for God. Because ultimately, they're only ultimately focused on self. Even what they do for others, ultimately, it's for some kind of self-satisfaction or self-fulfillment. But for the believer who has repented, there's still elements of this pride. And it's something that we should regularly then put to death. One person put it this way. If there's anything in your life where there's an undue attention to self, then you can be sure that God's going to come after you in that area in your life. See, if you're a child of God, and there's areas in your life of unrepentant pride, God's opposing hand will come against you till you are humbled. Why? Because that love of self, that preoccupation with self, is not good for us. It'll lead to our ruin. And it certainly won't help others either. So that's the warning there. God is opposed to the proud. But the positive side, the encouragement is this. God gives grace to the humble. If God is in a constant disposition of being opposed to those who are proud, to those who are humble, he's in this constant disposition of pouring out his grace. That when I repent, that when I'm not preoccupied with myself, and I see everything in relation to God, and I understand that God has made me his child, so I'm now free to depend on, by depending on him to serve others, God then pours out his bountiful enabling grace his lavish grace to do all that he has called us to do. No matter what difficulty I may be facing. Spurgeon writes this, God has assistance for the humble, but resistance for the proud. Wherever God sees pride lifting itself on high, he resolves to level it in the dust. But where there's humility, it brings blessing to us and the whole church. And you know, in one sense, God's humbling of us when you know, as his child, he will not let us go. If we are his child, he will not allow us to continue to be prideful. He will make sure that those areas, because they're not good for us, he will come after that. And that's his loving discipline. And so in that sense, it's even an act of his love. When, he, when he's opposed to us that way as his children. And you can see why, especially during difficult times where this humble mindedness toward one another and serving one another is especially important uh, during difficult times. One commentator put it this way The challenge of mutual humility is especially great in time of persecution. For the consequences at stake may cause the elders to abuse their power or for believers to rebel against church leadership. 
But God gives grace to those who are willing to humble themselves for the sake of Christ and his flock, allowing the church to thrive and survive even in times of persecution. So again, that's, it's God's mercy and his goodness towards us. And we are to humble ourselves toward one another because it is not good for us. Now the third thing that Peter will tell us is humble yourself before God and that's in verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, now Peter has just said, okay, God is going to be opposed to the proud. You don't want to be there. God gives grace to the humble. And so therefore, what should your response be? Humble yourself before God. That's the most appropriate response to God. That we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That we voluntarily accept and come under God Almighty's hand. See, God's mighty hand here, it's, it's a reference to God's sovereign power. In other words, we accept that it is God who has placed these people in our lives. The, the elders in your life, your fellow brothers and sisters, with, with all our quirks and warts and idiosyncrasies, it is God who has placed us together this way. The, the people who may be opposing us, mocking us, ostracizing us, the difficult trials or circumstances that we find ourselves in, none of it is by accident. God is sovereignly orchestrating it all. See, whatever problem you may have, whether it's a, it's a person or a circumstance, it's all part of God's sovereign purpose and plan. His mighty hand is orchestrating it all. There's no circumstance, good or bad, that is random. Nothing happens outside of his mighty hand. Absolutely nothing. So if God brings about circum, certain circumstances, certain difficulties to humble us, let it do its work. Place yourself under the sovereign hand of God, under the mighty hand of God. Don't fight against God and his sovereignty. Don't sit in judgment over God's sovereign hand, whatever he has dealt uh, in your life. Accept God's sovereign hand in your life and place yourself under it. Humble yourself under the sovereign hand of God. Now we read of the story of Joseph in Genesis and we all most of us would know his story. You know, Joseph's brothers didn't like him. They mistreated him, sold him to slavery so that he would be miserable and possibly even die, you know, left for dead. And he went through a lot. You know, aside from being sold as a slave, he was falsely accused, he was thrown in jail for a long time, and finally many years have passed when he sees his brothers. And he has this wonderful perspective about God's sovereignty in his life. This is what he tells his brothers as he sees them after many, many years. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the many people that should be kept alive as they are today. 
See, Peter sees all this and he says, yeah, God has been sovereign in all of that and he's always meant it for good, even though you, on an individual, on a human level, you meant it for evil. And so in a similar sense, Peter is saying, yes, there are difficulties. People in the church are not perfect. Your elders are not perfect. There's occasion for tension even within the church, especially when there is pressures around. And coupled with that, if there's pressures from outside where there's mocking and slandering and being ostracized by the society around you for following Jesus, in all of this, know this. God's sovereign hand is over it all and he is doing it for your good. So accept it. See, from... And from Peter's perspective, what is the good? The good is that the trials are meant to purify us, right? And we saw this a couple of weeks ago from 1 Peter 4.17, that God's judgment has already begun in the household of God. And we saw that, what that meant. It's that process of purification has begun with the people of God. So, so here's what Peter's trying to say. God is bringing about this fiery trial. Why? To get rid of any area of pride in your life. So that I can be humbled and so I can rely on him. God is not doing this to harm me. He's doing this for my good and to accomplish his sovereign purposes. Look at verse 6 again. Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that, here's the sovereign purpose or goal, at the proper time he may exalt you. So what that means is difficulties and trials in this life, they won't remain forever. God is sovereignly orchestrating everything to get rid of your pride, to humble you, to purify you, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. At the proper time, what's that proper time? More likely, given all that Peter has been talking about, this is talking about the return of Christ at the end of all things. When Jesus returns and all pride and sin is removed from us and all suffering and pain and trials will cease, God himself will exalt us and we will share in his glory and we will thank him and we will praise him knowing fully well in everything God orchestrated in our life, he always, always, always did it for our good. Now, if, if that's the trajectory, if that's the pathway of your life as a Christian, that's where you're headed. Don't you want to be, don't you want to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Right now, as you're going through trials and as you're going through difficulties, But then you say, okay, so how do I do that? How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God as I'm going through these difficulties? Well, Peter explains in verse 7. You do this by casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is how you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God now, by casting all your anxieties on him. See, the word here, cast, it has the idea of, of throwing something at someone. So it's Peter is saying, you know, throw your anxieties onto the Lord. The, the anxieties that come from the opposition and, and from the trials, 
The anxieties that come from saying, if I'm supposed to humbly serve others, then who will care for me? All the anxieties and the cares and the worries for for the future. You, You know, what if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? Cast it all on the Lord. Small anxieties, big anxieties, intermediate anxieties, all of it casted onto the Lord. And look, again, this is something we must actively do. It won't just automatically just go like that. We must actively cast it onto the Lord. See, and the implication is this. That anxiety and worry, therefore, is a form of pride. Why? Because when we worry, we're trying to live life without depending on God. We're wanting to control our own life. We want to be the mighty hand orchestrating all things. And we're seeking to do want and do things our own way. And that's not good for us, right? Because we're not wise like God. We're not powerful like God even to achieve things. We still have pride and sin sin in us. So why would our purposes and plans be the best? So it's not good for us then if we hold on to our anxieties and our worries because it will only cause more harm for us than good. So does this mean, therefore, we will never have anxieties or worries? No. The, the, the point is, when you have those anxieties and worries, when it comes, cast it onto the Lord. Actively put it back onto the Lord. One commentator, and if we don't do that, it will only do us harm. And one commentator put it this way. The admonition in 1 Peter 5, 7 to throw one's worries upon the over-shepherd should not be taken lightly. The church does not benefit when a Christian's life exhibits as much stress as that of an unbeliever. Indeed, anxiety of, about life can choke out God's word, Mark 4.19. And consequently, in every Christian's life, for God's word to be fruitful, there must be a self-forgetfulness that is based on trust in God, regardless of circumstances. So we must cast all of our anxieties onto the Lord. And that's how we practically humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, under whatever his sovereign providence has dealt in our life. And when we do that, we're showing that we are trusting God. We're we're depending on him and acknowledging him as the sovereign Lord of our lives. And, And how do we cast our burdens on the Lord? We do it prayerfully. We do it in obedience to God's word, whatever he's saying. We submit to that and accordingly we live that way and continue to trust in God. And Peter says we do this because God cares for you and me. See, if God were unable to care for us in times of difficulty or he was just apathetic, just you know, watching us from afar. Yes, he's, he's the big God, but hey, you got suffering and I'm doing this, and he's just left us alone like that, then this wouldn't make sense. But it is precisely because God cares for you. And he will sustain you during your trials that we are to cast our anxieties on him. 
And, and in doing so, we, we continue to believe in his promises that he is doing this for our good, whether or not at that time we can understand what good is going on. And we trust that because God is in control, because he's good, because he cares for me, I can continue to depend on him and I can continue to cast everything onto him. And I don't have to be anxious and I don't have to be worried then. Cast all your anxieties on him because he is the mighty God who also cares for you. You know, people in your life may fail you. Your elders may fail you. Your brothers and sisters may fail you. But here is one person who will not fail you. God himself, he will never ever fail you. You can always depend on him and you can be rest assured that he will care for you as you submit yourself, humble yourself under the sovereign mighty hand of God. So when we go through difficulties and trials, our humility needs to be of paramount importance. That, and how we display that is within the leadership of the church, where we subject to the leadership of the church. Because it's one of God's means of protection and care for you. Then on top of that, we then humble ourselves toward one another and care for one another. Because again, that is for our good. To be preoccupied with ourselves is not good for us. It'll lead to more of ruin for us. But when we are others-minded and others are doing the same, we are ministered to even this way. And no matter what difficulty we may face, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, there's grace poured out, bountiful grace, where he cares for you and sustains you through all those trials. And so I want to leave you with this question. As you go through, or this choice rather, as you go through trials, and difficulties, whether it's directly from following Jesus or just the circumstances of your life. There's two choices that you can, two ways in which you can respond. You can respond by further hardening yourself, by focusing on yourself more and more, and even raising your fist up against God or questioning God or being nasty to everyone else. Or you have the choice of humbling yourself before God. Which one will you choose? Because a Christian ultimately will choose humility. Because the Christian understands who this God is. And God will make sure that if there are areas of pride, he will continue to humble us till we depend on him and take us to glory. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for the great God you are. And we thank you that you're certainly not a God of our imagination. And the Bible is not something that men just simply wrote up. But we thank you that it pleased you to reveal yourself to us and to reveal your word to us in the written words of scripture so that we can understand you. Yet we recognize that you are a big and great God, a God that sometimes we cannot tame. We can't put you in a box. And yet it is this great God, this sovereign God, this mighty God who still cares for us. And so, Father, when we go through difficulties and when we go through trials, 
We pray that we would understand that ultimately it's to, uh, as Peter says, it's to deal with our pride and to, and to purify us. And so we would recognize that and we would humble ourselves before you. And as we do that, knowing that you will provide us with grace and care to sustain us on this journey in this earth till we are with you in glory. Father, help us to be faithful to you and help us to take these words to heart and help us to want to live more and more pleasing to you under your sovereign hand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.